Al, it's time for us to live a live. Wait a minute. Wait, hang on. I'm, I'm getting worried in my headset here. No, it's, uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I understand. I understand. Al, it's time for us to live a live. Hey. hey. We'll have to yes. talk about the pronunciation once you do the intro, but go ahead. Yes, indeedy. But yes, uh, hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA. It's a podcast where we have conversations about video games, anime, and manga. Hello, I'm Jared, joined as always by Doc Al and Ladyum. Hello, hello. This is episode number 298, and we're talking about Live Alive. Mm hmm. Al's very tired, so she doesn't have to lead a podcast this week, so. She Jared's can take it easy. Anymore. I'm also not sick, so she can take it easy and chill. And I'm we're just gonna talk about Live Alive. Yes. Which is um, a very weird and interesting game. Yes. Yes. I think that's fair to say. I I think so. Um, it, it definitely does some things that are interesting for like, in context of the time. Yeah. Totally. Um. But man, when I was playing, I was like, please end, please end, <laughs> my God, please end. Which, I, to be fair, you were playing it in like under different circumstances because you were trying to rush through it to, I think, get to Xenoblade. I was trying to rush through it so I would have like it finished before Xenoblade because I knew that if I, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 if Xenoblade came out, then I would have a giant gap and I would not remember what happened. Yeah, so I think that kind of clouded your view of this game compared to how like I absorbed it because I didn't really have to rush through it no as you did but we'll, we'll get into all that as we dive through this here video game mm -hmm. uh, this game originally came out on the Super Famicom on September 2nd 1994 in Japan and never made it outside of Japan until this year until now yeah, it was one of those rare square RPGs that had never really made the jump. Yeah, so it was pretty legendary because of that. Yeah. There had been, like, you know, fan translations and all that sort of stuff for people who had wanted to play it, but this is the first official translation that's come out, that came out uh, worldwide on the Switch on July 22nd, 2022. Of course, mm -hmm. nearly 30 years after the fact. Wildin'. This is very wild. Um... Let's talk about the development of this game, because this is obviously in a a very hot time for Square. Yes. Yes. This is this is a big time period for them. Yes. Uh, Live Alive was developed by Development Division 5 of Square, noted as creators of the Final Fantasy series. The game was the directorial debut of Takashi Tokita, who also will go on to make such games as The Bouncer. The Bouncer. And also he like directed Parasite Eve and Chrono Trigger as well. You know, a couple other games. Minor accomplishments compared to the bouncer. That's true. That's true. Uh, he had previously worked in a designer ro role for Hanjuku Hero and Final Fantasy IV. Uh, Hanjuku Hero is a real-time strategy game in, from Square that I don't think made it out of Japan. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, the original concept was born from the desire to make an RPG where players could experience multiple standalone stories at once, contrasting against Final Fantasy, where similar stories served a grand narrative arc. The production was made possible by the expanding storage capa capacity of the Super Famicom ROM, with the aim being for players to be able to complete each section within a day. 
Several staff members, including designer Nobuyuki Inoue and lead programmer Fumiaki Fukaya, had worked on either Hanjuku Hero or the Final Fantasy series. Active production began in December of 1993, though the entire development, including early planning, lasted one and a half years. It was produced for the Super Famicom's 16 megabit cartridge. I still love that, like, games back then took, like, a year to make. Yeah, they're just like, ah, we'll just do it. All right, we're done. Done. (laughs) Woo! It's very, very wild. Uh, Tokita had difficulty adjusting to his role as director, particularly as he could not be as hands-on with the graphical elements as he had been with for Final Fantasy IV. Except for menus and battles, Fukuya was responsible for all the game's programming. Tokita put an equal amount of effort into each world's design. Many of the world's suggestions came from other members of staff, with Tokita choosing what he thought were the best. The first world created was the Middle Ages edition, which informed both the wider narrative and the gameplay design. I didn't expect that. The scenarios originally had a graduating difficulty scale, but Tokita abandoned this so players could tackle the scenarios in any order they wished. Inoue was responsible for the battle system design, wanting to make a strategic experience, which Tokita described as real-time shogi. (laughs) It's interesting. Yeah. Another goal was to evolve the standard gameplay of RPGs at the time. One idea for, of Tokia's that was rejected included not displaying hit points, but having the character physically act like they had been injured or look weakened as they took damage instead, which is kind of similar to how they, they use uh, the enemy sprites in, like, Mystic Quest. It is, and, I mean, they kind of do that here because, like, or at yeah. least this version, I don't know about the original, but the uh, this version that we played, like, the characters will, like, slump over and stuff as they mm-hmm. take damage. Yeah. But yeah, Mystic Quest actually, you know, being the good game that it is, it, it did that. It's true. Once production finished, the team split up to, to work on other projects within Square. Which is, you'd have to think, like, I think, because this comes out in 94, so, like, other games that were being developed in Square at the time would have been, you know, Final Fantasy VI. Yep. Chrono Trigger. Yep. <laughs> Huge games. Huge games. That were uh, being made at the time. Uh, let's talk about scenario and art design real quick. Okay, remind me to tell you something. Yes. A notable feature of Live Live were the artists brought in to design the lead cast of the seven main sections. The artists were Yoshihide Fujiwara for the Imperial China route, Yoshinori Kobayashi for prehistory, Osamu Ishiwata for the Wild West, Yumi Tamura for distant future, Ryoji Minagawa for present day, and Gosho Ayama for Twilight of Edo Japan, and Kazuhiko Shimamoto for the near future. This was possible due to Square's publishing ties with Shoga, Shoga Kukan, who was associated with those artists. These are all manga artists, for those uh, unaware. Additional character artwork, including designs for the Lord of Dark narrative, was done by Kiyofumi Kato of Square. Further in-game, in-game graphics were designed by Yukiko Sasaki, who worked as a map designer on Final Fantasy IV. Sasaki encountered difficulties with the graphics, struggling to design the Edo Japan scenario, and needed to cut elements such as telegraph poles from present-day scenario. Having multiple character designers was not in the original plan, but emerged to complement the omnibus storytelling. This style of having one artist in charge for each world was unusual for Square, who previously had a single graphic designer in charge of all art direction. Fujiwara was known for his work on the martial arts manga Kenji. For the Imperial China protagonist female student, Fujiwara deliberately went against stereotypes of martial art heroines with large breasts, drawing her with a tighter figure. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Alright. Wow. Uh, Shimamoto was originally going for an anime-style design for his character, but changed it to one based on traditional manga when he saw the other designers work, uh, which he did, or they did, the near future route. Okay. Um, Akira's partner, Matsu, was physically based on actor Yusako Matsuda. Oh, Asparagus Head Man. Yes. Nice. 
Uh, Ishiwata based the protagonist of the Wild West on the cowboy figures portrayed by Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that tracks. Aoyama designed Obomaru very quickly, and at Tokita's request, based Odo Ode, 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 Odeo's design on the Japanese warlord Oda Nobunaga. Yeah, tracks too. Tomorrow was in the middle of work for of her work on Basara when she was approached about the project. It was only it was her only work in video game character design. Kato designed the sprites of the Middle Ages chaos based on templates from the Final Fantasy series, with Orsted being directly based on the Warrior of Light. Huh. Uh, the scenario was co-written by Tokita and Inoue. As with his other work, Tokita drew inspiration from the tone and dramatic moments of the manga Devil Man. He also based his structure on Dragon Quest IV, with the script emulating the style of anime and manga. The prehistory story drew inspiration from the manga series First Human, Geatrice, while the Wild West narrative was based on these climatic scenes from classic westerns, including Shane. <laughs> you know, everyone's favorite Wild West film. Yep. Shane. Shane. The near-future story made several references to classic mecha manga and anime. Along with his reference to classic martial arts films, the name of the protagonist in the present-day narrative was made up of kanji symbols taken from the names of four famous wrestlers. Which it doesn't put here, but okay. Uh, the distant future narrative was inspired well, by 2001 the, the Space Odyssey and Alien. The, you mentioned that one of them was a, a real wrestler when we were playing. In the it. in the near future route, they they make mention to like Masawa, who is yeah. obviously probably based off of Mitsuharu Masawa. Right. Anyway, sorry I interrupted you. No, you're fine. Uh, Cube's name created by a member of the development staff was a reference to Stanley Kubrick. The Middle Ages that, story paid. Yep. Yep. The Middle Ages story paid homage to Final Fantasy with its relationship between Orsted and Straybro, mirroring that between Cecil Harvey and Kine Highwood. <laughs> There's like, hey, you remember Final Fantasy IV? Uh, Tokita was concerned about creating the Middle Ages story due to its similarity to the ongoing Final Fantasy saga and Mana series. The final chapter and its selectable lead protagonist emulated the freedom of choice present in Romancing Saga. In a way, created the recurring gag character of Watanabe, a normal man who suffers misfortune in each era, to represent the normal people who die during each scenario. <laughs> this is pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about music. Okay. The music was composed and arranged by Yoko Shimomura, obviously a very famous composer. Very famous. <laughs> mm-hmm. After writing music for Capcom on multiple projects, including Street Fighter II, Shimomura moved to Square in 1993, fueled by the wish to compose for RPGs. Live Alive was Shimomura's first major RPG composition and her first job after arriving at Square. Her only previous work on RPGs was minor work on Breath of Fire prior to leaving Capcom. As with the rest of the game, Shimomura's music reflected the different eras in which the narrative was set. The main theme appeared multiple times to the score in arranged versions and ideas shared by both Shimomura and Tokita. Shimomura wrote the score on a PC-9800 series, then poured it into the Super Famicom sound environment. The boss theme, Megalomania, was written to be frenetic, or frenetic and exciting. For the motive of Odeo, Shimomura used a simulated pipe organ, incorporating it into Megalomania to reference its, its recurring threat. The music for the Middle Ages period was the most difficult for Shimomura to write, though it was among the first asked for by Tokita. Upon hearing her struggles, Final Fantasy composer Nobuo Uematsu offered to help. Writing the score for the Middle Ages became easier once the theme Overlord Overture and battle theme Dignified Battle were completed. The music for the Captain Square minigame in the Distant Future scenario was deliberately written to evoke the chiptune style of the NES and early arcade titles. A uh, soundtrack was put out in 1994. The album was re reissued on iTunes in July of 2008. And a physical release was published by Square in May of 2012. 
In 2008, the titles Birds in the Sky, Fish in the River, and Forgotten Wings were included on Dramatica, the very best of Yoko Shimomura, a compilation of the composer's work at Square Enix. Remix and karaoke versions of Kiss of Jealousy and Megalomania were released on the 2014 compilation album Memoria, which also featured tracks from Shimomura's work with Square. Uh, Birds in the Sky, Fish in the River, and Megalomania were later released in 2015 as downloadable content for Theat Rhythm Final Fantasy Curtain Call. It's a good game. And then they did a tribute concert. <laughs> is uh, Megalomania the boss theme? I would presume so, because they, they definitely title it as the boss theme. Yeah. So I'd have to assume that's the case. I'm like, it was so hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the original release of Live Alive real quick. Okay. It was released on September 2nd, 1994. Originally meant to be released in Japan before Final Fantasy VI, delays occurred in Live Alive's production, and the release order was reversed. So I guess... FF6 was first, and then Live Alive. I, I don't remember FF6 being a 94 game, but I guess that is the case. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, prior to release, Tamora created a prequel manga to the Distant Future scenario, later noting that she drew the manga without Square's permission. <laughs> Boss. Whoa! <laughs> the game was re-released through Nintendo's Virtual Console for Wii U on in June, the June 17, 2015. A Virtual Console port to Nintendo 3DS released on November 28, 2016. The release was prompted by fan demand for the title, and then publisher Square Enix had to get permission from the guest illustrators before the re-release could happen. Oh, that's actually a good point. Yeah. Characters from Live Live are featured in 20th anniversary crossovers with the mobile games Holy Dungeon and Final Fantasy Legends The Space-Time Crystal. Until 2022, Live Alive remained exclusive to Japan. A rumor reported by GamePro was that the title was originally planned for an English release. In an interview with the magazine Superplay, Square Localization staff member Ted Woolsey said that its overseas release was unlikely due to its low graphical quality compared to other popular titles, titles at the time. A fan translation was created by noted online translation group Ion Genesis. Speaking in later interviews, Tokita felt that his experience with Live Live helped solidify his directing and storytelling. And then, of course, we get to the remake. That's what we played. That is what we played, yes. On the subject of a remake, Tokita said it would depend entirely on fan demand. He later revealed that multiple attempts at a sequel or remake had been had fallen through over the years. After joining the Square Enix team developing Octopath Traveler, known for its HD 2D graphical style which blended bright art with 3D graphics, Tokita was inspired to remake Live Live using the graphical style of Octopath Traveler. The remake was made possible as Square Enix had been in talks over licensing from Shogakukan since the original virtual console release. Square Enix president Yosuke Matsuda had himself voiced a wish to remake older titles using the HD 2D design, and Live Live was at the top of a list of proposed titles. Work on the remake began in 2019, with development proving challenging due to the COVID-19 pandemic and preserving the variety of playstyles. The remake was co-developed by Square Enix's team Asano and Japanese developer Historia. Tokita acted as producer while Shun Sasaki of Historia worked as director, with much of the staff being young and unrelated to the original version. Sasaki <laughs> Sasaki expressed disbelief when approached about the remake, but accepted as many staff members were fans of Live Alive. The UI and sound effects were updated, and the gameplay was rebalanced. It also saw gameplay additions of in-game radars and maps. The character designs were redrawn by Naoki Ikushima. Shimomura re returned to orchestrate and arrange the soundtrack. The original MIDI sound files had been lost, so the score had to be copied from the original, with her feeling pressure due to the soundtrack's popularity among fans, which is wild. That is so wild, but not the only story of them being terrible with their assets. Yeah. Square, very notorious about that. Yep. Uh, the Near Future chapter also included a vocal version of the theme Go Go Buriki Dayo, performed by Hironobu Kageyama. 
Known for performing Dragon Ball Z's opening theme, Chala Head Chala, <laughs> Kageyama also recorded an English version for the Western release. Uh, the lyrics were taken from a 1994 Famitsu competition where readers sent in lyrics for the song. <laughs> That's so funny. It's really wild. Uh, voice acting for main and important characters was included with, with the cast being chosen by Tokita based on his initial concepts for what the characters would sound like. Voice actor Tomokaza Sugita, a fan of the original game, appeared in roles across all of the time periods. Would you see his name pop up a lot throughout this game? For sure. Um, what's something he has done that you would know? Ah, yes, he is Joseph Joestar. Young Joseph what? Joestar. What? To be exact. Whoa. In JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. JoJo. A series you might have known about. Uh, maybe a little. Just a smidge. Just a, just a smidge. Little bit. Little, little bit. Little bit. I'm trying to see if there's anything like weird or funny that he's been in that would be a, a funny goof, but nothing that I'm seeing off the top here. Off the top of what? You know, the top. <laughs> oh, he's also Gundam Tanaka in Danganronpa 2, so there's that. Wild. That's a that's a good goof. And also Carlos in Zero Time Dilemma. That's that's a good one. So there you just imagine those voices coming out of random characters that show up in Live Alive. That's amazing. Um, Which speaking of random voices, um, you we we both played with english um however prehistory is only voiced by japanese voice actors and there is a very notable one who plays um his name is pogo originally we called him bam bam on yours yes it's pretty good which because they don't have to like is it's prehistory they're not going to speak a language yeah that's no. the reason why they would have they don't we had the one just grunts and stuff but um Dub, yeah when I when I saw the name in the credits, I was like, "Oh, Jared's gonna lose it when he sees that." <laughs> it was very much a like, "Hey, wait a minute, let me look at my Persona Three poster real quick to confirm this." Huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Megumi Ogata is the the voice of Pogo, I guess. Pogo. Bam Bam. Yep. And I was just like, "Huh? <laughs> Interesting." <laughs> I thought that was funny. That was wild, but yeah. A good get there. Um, That's a good get. Yeah, uh, Live Alive originally sold two hundred seventy thousand copies in Japan, which made it a failure. But it's also like comparing it to Final Fantasy releases, which is like that's kind of unfair. Yeah, uh, Tokita attributed the low sales to to his release as a new project competing against entries in established series, which makes a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, between July and September 2022, the remake sold 500,000 copies worldwide, with over 140,000 units being sold in Japan. Yowza. Which is, it's nice to see that, like, they were able to, like, almost double the amount of copies sold just by putting out this remake and also putting it out, you know, worldwide. Makes a difference. Uh, it currently has an 81 of 100 on the Metacritic. There is a four-point difference in score with the Famitsu review between the original and the new one. Oh, snap. Look at that. Interesting. 
But yeah, let's let's dive into this here video game. Cause it is a like I think the word to describe this game is it's ambitious. It is and that ambitious. kind of fits the tone of like what Square was doing at the time. So you know, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, you know, like we had said earlier, like this is around the time they were making six, Final Fantasy Six. They were making Chrono Trigger, and they also have this. So it was like they're doing a lot of ambitious stuff when it comes to like how people look at JRPGs at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember if I said this to you or if I said it to my brother because my brother watched me play through this. Yeah. Um, but what this felt like to me is that like they had some general ideas for games, but then they realized like, oh, this isn't enough to actually make like a full on JRPG. So let's just smash them all together. Mm-hmm. We'll figure out a way to put it together. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it just felt like that to me. That was like, uh, it's like little mini JRPGs. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Because yeah. like you're not going through, you don't go around grinding or doing anything like that. Like most of the time, like once you finish a chapter, you're, you'll are you be like, oh, I'm level 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it. Some of them you don't even level up. Right. Yeah. So like it kind of defies most expectations when it comes to JRPGs as well. Because like, you know. Before this, the you know the popular ones at the time, or like you know the most commonly seen JRPGs at the time, were just like these grand epics where you're, right. you know you're going over the all this world and stuff, and you're leveling up so often and grinding for experience and all that sort of stuff. Whereas this is like you said, it's like these very short stories that are at, on the surface kind of seem not similar to each other, or yeah, dis- disconnected from each other and everything, and it just doesn't do what you expect from a JRPG. Even like the right. combat itself kind of is very different from what you had seen at the time. Yeah, I mean, you didn't really get like random encounters in until the end. I think it's the Middle Ages where they did that, but it was the Middle Ages. I thought there was another one they did it as well. So the near future has people on the map. Yes, yes, yes. So you can run into the... And then Edo Japan also has that as well. Yeah. Um, Wild West didn't have any. No. That. Prehistory but kind of has it. You do the smelly thing until you find somebody. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like there is. Imperial definitely... China might have some. Yeah. No, no, remember. they're on the map too. Okay. Because I remember seeing tigers and thinking like, I don't, I don't want to fight that. <laughs> So it might be just be the Middle Ages one where like they they kind of do kind of fall back into that Final Fantasy mold. Right. Um I mean this this game can be boiled down to uh incels are bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. I do like how That's it. <laughs> yeah. I do like how they they you you get to see like the the way things start to tie into each other by the time you know you're getting through all these chapters and like how the final the final boss of each chapter is basically similarly named and everything you kind of like you start to piece together like little things here and there like okay so this isn't these aren't all separate stories that are just you're playing through like there's some through line tying everything together and you have to figure out exactly like what is that through line that makes everything connected once I started realizing like things were all named Odeo, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Which is an interesting little caveat. 
and the Watanabe that keeps showing up. Yeah, which apparently is just, he's just a dude. Just a guy. <laughs> just a dude, which is funny. But yeah, like I thought that was a, I thought it was an interesting way to like kind of bridge everything together and give you this kind of mystery of like trying to figure out okay how is all this going to connect to each other and how do all of these characters going or oh how are all these characters going to tie into each other at by the end of this? Why would you name that one character in present day Odie O'Bright? Because it's funny. <laughs> That's why. It's like he's named after the dog in Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> also, he doesn't look like someone who would be called Odie O'Bright. No. And I was like, oh, okay, I think that's when I started putting it together. I was like, oh, everything's Odio. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think it was the Wild West one that I was like, oh, Dio, because that's how it's spelled. Odio. Oh, Dio. And it's like, it was me, Dio. Yeah. Which, I mean, it kind of is like that. It was just, it was me. Oh, Dio. <laughs> JoJo references. Thank you, thank you. I mean, it would fit. Yep, yep, yep. It would fit. Um, Which of these stories did you like the most going through them? Um, the one that I actually like the most, surprisingly enough, because it doesn't feel like one that I would pick, mm -hmm. is uh, the near future. Yeah, I think that's the most probably like fleshed out story. Yeah. Out of all of them. Yeah. Because definitely feels like it's the longest chapter out of the original seven. Seven. Um, I feel like it. And I mean, you had some interesting twists in there, like Asparagus Man's confession. And mm -hmm. like, I forget exactly what he's eating slash drinking in order to get his powers. But like, that was wild. Um, but I feel like you get to know the character a bit more and you get to know more about his personality. Plus, he says suck it whenever he wins. And that's yeah. <laughs> um. And um, I like the fact that he had just, like, these psychic abilities that you could, like, read minds. So, like, you could read his weird Tobot. To uh, you know what? It is a Tobot. It was a turtle robot. It's a Tobot. Yeah. yeah. Um, you could read his mind. He was all thankful because he survived. And I was like, oh. Mm -hmm. Also, like, you get a turtle robot. That's pretty cool. Also, it had that boss fight that you hated, and you were like, oh, oh man, you're coming up on this fight, and then oh. I beat it by it just killing itself. <laughs> it it kamikaze'd you, and I'm just like, Are Yeah, you and then I survived, me? and I was like, all right, I guess that's it. <laughs> and you were like, what? I was so what? mad. I was so mad. That part was very good. It took <laughs> 10 so out of 10. Much, so much. But you had, like, the, the goofy old man mm -hmm. and that one. Um you had that sweet theme song. And then at the end, you get mech fights. You get mech fights. Which Wait. is awesome. Where <laughs> you get to stomp a bird to death. Yeah. Wild. Thanks, Steel Titan. So that was definitely like a standout one for me. Yeah, I think that one's really good. Um, What else? I mean, I, I think... thought... The Wild West one was fun. 
Yeah, I think that one has, like, just a really good aesthetic. Yes. Like, it's not a whole lot in terms of story, because, like, you're basically confined to one singular area. Yes. And just, like, prepping this area for a fight, essentially. But, like, it's just, it feels really good. It feels like it, it like, it captures that evocative tone of Westerns, mm-hmm. specifically, which, like, a lot of games at that time really hadn't done, especially in the JRPG genre. Right. So, I think it does a really good job of that. Um. And it is very short compared yes. to a lot of the other ones, but I still thought it was real fun and just like seeing and you you still you still get a bit of like who these characters are and like why they're trying to like band together to protect this town from this gang of ruffians. And I like that it tied into like the Battle of Little Bighorn, like the yeah. mythos behind that, because mm-hmm. that's like one of the big things that people think about when it comes to like westerns is that battle. Mm-hmm. And so like, all right, well, let's tie it into that. And it's just possessed horse. Yep. Um, hey. <laughs> um, but that one was fun. And you actually like incorporate all the people in the town as people who fight with you, which is kind of yeah. cool. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to like make a man super confused because I put out a sexy poster. Yeah. And he's like, who puts that out here? Why <laughs> would you funny. do that? Um, but it it was unique, and I think yeah, I like that mm-hmm. because of that. But yeah, I agree. Um, I'd say Near Future and Wild West are my favorites. Yeah, uh, I think like the present day one isn't great in terms of story or anything like that because there really isn't much there. But I love the aesthetic of just them it's making just a it fighting a fighting game. game. I think that's so game. fun and good. It is very good. Um, I did appreciate that part of it. Um, once the menu came up, it was like, oh my god, what is yeah. this? Yeah, that's real good. And it it gives you kind of a different uh, idea for battling as well because you have to, like, you have to get hit by those attacks or see those attacks in order to gain them. Right. You're not, like, in a super hurry to kill them. Yeah. And then you you also don't level on that that story either. Nope. So I thought that was was fun. The only way you grow is by getting moves from everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, Hulk Hogan's in there, basically. Yep. Sure is. Gotta fight racism. Yep, yep. Um, brother, brother. Let me yeah. tell you something, brother. I was just like, that's just Hulk Hogan. That's it's such... very much is. It very much is. Like the the the, they don't even try to hide that that's Hulk Hogan. No. <laughs> it's hilarious. <sighs> um, I think the distant future one is very interesting because it's like a thriller mystery story. Yeah. It's very different from everything else because, like, you again, it's a one where you don't really get into fights until the very, very end. You only fight one fight. Well, yeah. I think you can die if you get hit by that big behemoth guy, but yeah, I, I think that happened to me. It, I think you died because you got hit by burning oil, which is how I died too. You know, same difference. <laughs> um, running away from him, that is yeah. to be sure, but um, but yeah, it definitely had like a space odyssey feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I really liked how like the 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 military dude had like an actual character arc. Yeah, he did. Where it just wasn't just like I hate robots. He's just like, yeah, I was a part of this one thing, and then they killed my crew, and that's why I'm kind of bitter against this. But we gotta work together, so I'm gonna trust you now, and we're gonna do this. And you get to give him a cup of coffee. You could give a lot of people a cup of coffee, which is great. I know, but he before that he'll decline, and then and then you ended. get to give him at the end, yeah. I was like, yeah, character development. 
Like, I thought that was real cool, especially just, like, how they were able to write that story and frame it. Yeah. It's very different from everything else. It was very, very different. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was completely, like, a narrative-based. Yeah. Uh, The Kind of puzzle, in a way, because you had to figure out, like, what was going on. And, like, where you have to go for everything and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the prehistory one, I think, is interesting because of how, like, you know, they don't have dialogue. They can't have dialogue because these are cavemen and women. Right. They don't have a language. They just right. run at each other. Or in the terms of our main character, he'll just hold his crotch sometimes. And blush. And blush. So I thought that was an interesting way of doing this. Um, one thing I thought was really clever about this one is mm-hmm. that sometimes um, they'll get like thought bubbles above their head and they use the original sprites from the game. Like yeah, the you, original you mentioned game. that. Yeah. Like that's really cute. That's a good mm-hmm. that's a good touch. That is a good um, touch. But yeah, this one is uh It's it's something. I think the end of it is where it goes real wild. <laughs> Which part where you're like trying to save her from a sacrifice and end up fighting a dinosaur or like uh, that part is wild but the, the end, end end is where it gets real wild <laughs> yeah yeah i feel uncomfortable with that still because i'm like he's 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 kind of a kid he's yeah. very clearly the youngest protagonist that we have not including mm-hmm. cube because he's a robot mm-hmm. um I was like, oh, but I guess, you know, he does do the crotch hold thing. So um, I think you boiled it down to um, he is a simp. And I think that, that he is, is the world's first simp. I, I think that that is a good way to boil down this this <laughs> this entire story. Um, Also, there's a guy who is a villain and he wears a lizard as like a loincloth. <laughs> he does. Yeah, you're right. And he throws it at you as a weapon. Yep. Which... Sure does. <laughs> yep. 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 They censor him. They don't. They don't show you any it's, of the. It's something. Any of the goods, but can you imagine wearing a lizard as clothes? No, because it's gonna bite you. Yeah, it seems like a terrible idea. I think it's bad. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna cover much either. It moves. It's 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 alive. <laughs> it's alive. Yeah. It, it probably doesn't want to be there. I it's highly really sexual doubt it. Harassment. Yeah. It's definitely sexual harassment of lizards. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that one's not like never necessarily the best story out of all of these, but like it it ends on a, just a wild note. That's what it makes is, it memorable. <laughs> it ends with a harem route for his best yep, friend. Yep. Yep. Sure does. Wildin. Yeah, uh, there's we, a baby. There's a baby. Um, baby. We get to see the tale of Joey the Shifu. <laughs> Sorry. That made me laugh. So good. I didn't realize that like that was just gonna be like the name of the martial art. I was like, I'm gonna name this guy Joey. <laughs> and they're like, Oh yes, he's the Shifu, the master of the Joey. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah, that was good. Um <laughs> It's interesting because like they give you three different characters that can be the the successor. The successor here. So, like, you can have different stories coming out of this, essentially. Which is a, a wild thing to do with all of this. Um, which can also lead to the only, like, protagonist that could be a woman. Yeah. 
She's not the only playable woman, but she's the only one who could be a protagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, the story is pretty just simple. Like, it's old man who wants to pass down his martial arts to someone. He wants to have, like, one final successor. There's a rival martial artist who's going around being a, a real buffoon. But... And you got to go fight him. It's a very, it's very simple martial arts kind of story, but it works also, pretty well. Mentor dies at the end. Yeah, so it's not necessarily like the most like flamboyant or anything, but like I think it works fine. It's fine. Yeah, uh, and then the Twilight of Edo Japan is just like Ninja Man stealth, which I think this one's interesting because like you can do stealth in this, and like you can pick and choose who like you fight. Yeah. Because, like, it gives you a counter of, like, here's how many people you've defeated and everything. And, like, that that, sh- that will depend on, like, how you're leveling and everything. Like, what skills you're learning and all this sort of stuff. So that um, makes it an interesting dichotomy that you have to balance, essentially. Also, something that is wild, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize this when I was playing it, is that um, you can you can recruit the prisoner. Yes. Who's uh, Ryoma Sagamoto. Mm-hmm. Um, actual historical figure, by the way. Yes. But um, I didn't know you could recruit him. So you recruited him. I was like, what? Because <laughs> when I was playing, he shows up at like the final fight. And was like, oh, hey, I'm going to join you. Oh, interesting. And my um, my doppelganger robot exploded at that point and he took over. oh so like i i got the doppelganger for like a hot second and then it just broke and i was like oh okay well never mind i think that you got the better deal out of that because uh-huh. you had you had a guy with a gun yes and i had a breakable robot <laughs> but i had no idea that you could like actually rescue him yep and I don't know how he broke out because, le- like, legit, when I was about to go to fight Odio, he's like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm here. You want to team up? <laughs> cool, let's go. I found a way to get out of here. I was like, oh, okay, come on, buddy, let's go. And then you're given a choice at the end of whether or not you're going to, to join his cause, which I did and you did not. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Was there any difference between what, like, with what you did? Basically, just like a really big hopeful speech about the future of Japan, which is kind of sad because this man was assassinated. Oops. Yikes. Oops. Ripperoni. So, yeah, you do all those and then you get the final chapter, which is the Middle Ages one, which they they very much said, hey, we kind of based this off of Final Fantasy and it feels very much like your super traditional JRPG of like, you know, you're the chosen one going off to fight the evil demon who kidnaps the princess. It's very, you know, boilerplate storytelling, essentially. Like, you know, there's the old hero who you have to recruit and everything. You're the sword man and your best friend's the mage. Yeah. Like, it is very much of that ilk. Also, they fall in love immediately. Which is funny. And then she gets kidnapped immediately. (laughs) Immediately. They smooch first. Mm Mm-hmm. There is one kiss. And she's like, I dedicate myself to you always, even though I just met you. And the only reason that we're getting married is because you won a battle. Yep. But I love you. Let's go. And Ooh. then she gets taken away by a 
dragon thing? Some monster. Some kind of monster. And Straybo's like, all right, cool. I'm going with you, buddy. Let's go save her. Yay. Woo. Thanks, Straybo. I think the only parts when this gets real interesting is like after all that happens and you come back and then like everything bad happens or like <laughs> everyone starts blaming you for killing the king because you kind of do that. And then everyone's just like, oh, man, you're the Lord of Dark. Everything's bad. Oh, no. Yeah, because like you you get to like the throne room basically ish sort of you get to the like facade of the throne room um and then things get triggered and um like the old hero starts coughing up blood and dies um and then allegedly gets caught in a landslide and dies yeah the the everything starts crumbling around you sir start running strabo strabo allegedly dies you and the old man get out, and then, yeah, you, you go to the castle, and you take a nap, and you see Strabo, and you follow him, and then, oh, no, the king is Lord of the Dark, and you stab him. It's like, oh, no, you killed the king. This is bad. And Everyone's very upset. <laughs> and the most non-intuitive thing in the world, um, they, like, kick you out, and you to continue the story, you just have to go right back in. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, oh, okay. All right. And I eventually just decided, all right, well, I'm going to go do that because I don't want to leave my old man friend. And then he died. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to the uh, the the place Lord where the Lord Dark cave. is supposed to be. And Stream was like, oh, by the way, I did this because I actually loved the princess and you took her from me and you didn't go save her, so I, I saved her, and now I'm the Lord of Dark, a uh, spooky man. And then you beat him, and then you're like, okay, I guess I'm the Lord of Dark now because everyone's dead. Well, you beat him, and she's like, well, he came for me, and you didn't come for me, and you took too long, and he said all <laughs> Lady, it was a me. day. <laughs> right, it was like a day. Come on. And she gets super dramatic and then stabs herself and dies. And it's like, Jesus Christ, people. Yep. Yeah, so um you kill your best friend. Your your wife murders herself. And then your you're just like, Well, I guess I'm the Lord of Dark now. Yes, I'm Lord of Dark. Everybody's saying it, so why don't I just become Odio? Odio. God. Um it was really funny that you named him Lord Byron, even though it's not time period correct. It made me laugh a lot. I knew he was a lord the whole time, that's why. It's true, it's true. Um, Big brain. And then that unlocks the final chapter. The Dominion of Hate. Which essentially is just like Odio brings in all of the characters and you have to go go out and recruit them and you eventually go and fight him. That's essentially the, the crux of this chapter. Yes. There are like mini dungeons. Um, which um, Akira's one is really interesting to me because you can like mind read the thoughts of the people mm-hmm. who were involved with um with the middle ages plot yeah and like some of them like my favorite was Straybo being like hmm maybe I shouldn't have done the things I did maybe <laughs> oops. I'm the one who pushed him over the edge oops yikes and then you know she his his wifey 
He's like, oh no, please go save him. This is not how I wanted it to turn out. It's like, bro, you killed yourself in front of him after he was late for a day to come get you. Yep. Like, be patient. He's doing his best. At least he came for you. Yeah. Could have just left you there. Like, man, yeah. it's too much trouble. <laughs> I don't have time for this. Yeah, and then you're stuck with Strabo and his weird incelness. Yeah. Then what are you gonna do? Um. Well, he loved me. He loved me. <laughs> um. So yeah. So yeah. You eventually recruit everyone, which kind of is some somewhat of a pain in the butt, but mostly straightforward. The only one I think is kind of the pain in the butt is the rootin' man. The rootin' tootin' cowboy. Rootin kid. Yeah. He was. He was. He just. He just wanders around. <laughs> He was a pain. Uh, but yeah, eventually you go to the 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 roost again, and you have to go fight Odio, and you you beat him, and then you can decide if you want to spare him or kill him. Also, he turns into a weird baby thing at one point. He does. This isn't. This oh, is, and the eyes and the mouth fight. Yeah, that was a that was a bit of a troublesome fight for me. Yeah. <laughs> In particular, uh, Wikipedia has this interesting line here, which I don't understand quite what it means but it says here uh the party can either kill orsted trapping them in lucrace or spare him leading to final battles with each form of odio which orsted describes as the physical physical man incarnation of hatred in the remake odio again manifests and orsted breaks free of its control to strike the final blow so i wonder if like that part is just like include they included in this alone and that's not in the original oh huh that is interesting because that that was pretty cool. Yeah. Interesting. Um, they do make you do a boss rush by the end of it, <gasps> which can be very tricky. It's I think it would be easier if like you had gone through and leveled everyone up, yeah, and gave them all equipment have. and everything and done all that. Yeah. But neither of us did that, <laughs> so nope. some of those fights were a little bit harrowing. <laughs> Yes. Yes, they were. And I almost just quit the game right here. Which I, I understand why you, why you got upset and like why you would have been frustrated because you were at the very end of this. And like some of those fights are easy. Some of those fights you can just get done like that. Some of those fights, easy, though, easy. are like you got you to gotta struggle with them. Mm -hmm. So like you, you mentioned like the cowboy fight was the one that was going to be the most troublesome. And you were like, hey, there's an item you can use. And it'll just go and kill him instantly. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll find this and do it because this is probably going to be a pain in the butt. Because that, that fight's kind of a pain in the butt originally as yeah, well. Yeah, it sucked so. in the original one. And and you had somebody to help you in that one. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you have to do all these fights 1v1, which makes it a little bit more challenging, essentially. Um, but that strategy I'd gone through the entire work, so. Yeah, yeah. I'd gone through the entire boss rush except for... Um, the cowboy and one other one. I forget which one came after that. Um, I think whoever you're playing as. Oh, whoever you're playing as. Okay. Um. So I did all of them up to that point, and I lost at the cowboy, and I was just like, I, I'm done. I'm done. I remember you just being very upset. <laughs> very upset. And so then I went back in and I wrecked everybody's day, and then yeah, I threw that item at at Odio, and. Insta kill. I was like, "All right, cool, moving on." And then, like the one after that, you can easily get through as well because it's like you're playing oh, as yeah. the character you've been playing as. So it's like it's another easy one. You're good. 
Yeah, I had I had my main character leveled up to like level sixteen, so he had like his ultimate move. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was like stupid easy. Yeah. Um. And then you get into like a final boss fight, which is kind of kind of real, kind of scripted. Yeah. Because like I, you get to a certain point scripted. and. Yeah, you get to a certain point, and then basically it's like, okay, you've you've basically beat the game. You just got to do some stuff here, and then we're we're good. Yeah, have everybody do an attack on him. Mm-hmm. Um, although he like goos you at one point. It's like weird. Like, honey no, get stuff. me in the goo. Gross. <laughs> Not the goo. The goo. Gooey. Gross. But yeah, essentially you you beat him again, and then. And I guess this version, Orsted takes him out for good and is like, hey, be careful of hate and all that sort of stuff. All right, see you later. <laughs> I'm dying. Go home. <laughs> be a family man or woman. Go home, be a family man or woman. So this is where you see, like, the epilogues where, like, Pogo and Baru ended up having a baby and his mm-hmm. best friend ended up having many babies. Mm-hmm. Um, The Shifu... Ends up having her own class. Her own class or students. It's very good. Um, I wonder if the the Japan one differs depending on what you choose. Well, like I mine had him just running through the like grass. He was just running. Yeah, I don't remember what he did in mine, honestly. Um Wild West he was just on his horse. Which I wonder if that one's also different if you if you don't kill the dude at the end. I didn't know that you could not kill that dude at the end. Yeah, me either. Didn't know that was a thing. Um, Present day dude moves out of his apartment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he stops doing all them squats in that apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, Akira just kind of like chilling on the bench again. Looking out looking out of the sea. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, at one point he goes out to the, the, the docks. docks. Yeah, yeah. The docks where all the bad things happen, all the... All, that's that's where you can become a hooligan, but he was looking out to the sea. It's the prequel with... of Shenmue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that you called him Rio. Um Well that was your idea. It was my idea, but I'm really proud of it. Um and he has his uh his his pal's motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Wonder how much trouble he got into for stealing that other guy's motorcycle. I don't know. I mean he did kind of save the world, so like yeah. they can't be too mad at him. It's true. Um, but the distant future, future cube is like hanging out with this person. And the general. And the general. Just doing stuff. And then like the game ends with a shot of all the, the seven protagonists just like on a cliff hanging out. Yep. This is real cool. With a sunrise. Yeah. There's a new day. It's a new day dawning. I will say, like, I think that the work they did with the HD 2D stuff is really good. Like, this game looks really nice. It looks really nice. Um, I think it would have been cool to, like, see more of, like, the original stuff within here. Mm-hmm. But I think that's probably just, like, that's a lot of work yeah. <laughs> to include both of those. So I think what they did, though, with the with the remake is very good. Like, it just it's a very nice-looking game. And, like, that HD 2D stuff is, like, that they do good stuff with that. They make those games look really nice. They really do. With that engine and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this game's interesting. And like I said before, like at the beginning of this podcast, like it's a very ambitious game. And I think mm-hmm. 
they're able to do some very interesting things with this, with the way that they, you know, they have all these different stories and eventually tie them all together and everything. I think it kind of does lose some steam at the end when they have to like put everyone together and then wrap up the story with yeah. the audio stuff. Like, I think that kind of loses a little bit of luster, you know, as you're going through it, but like you know, the, the final boss fights are pretty interesting and, and you know, they're, they're neat to see, especially like the designs and all that sort of stuff. But the real like, cool parts of this game are just the individual like original seven stories because yeah. a lot of jrpgs at this time just didn't do things like this and you get like just a mix of a lot of different kinds of narratives throughout those seven chapters and everything so i think that stuff is just really cool it's essentially like a short story collection but yeah yeah in jrpg form which is yeah. it's it's not something that you really think of even like today is not really something you think of. Yeah, like you you still don't really get that, but like it's it's a cool idea because like you know there's a reason why short stories exist in general. Mhm. Mm um so having like short story compilations is is a cool idea. Yeah. I just got mad by the end of it. Which I again I I think is fair. <laughs> also a weird thing about it is that Orsted in the Middle Ages like is not voiced until the very end of his route for some inexplicable reason. Yeah, that was interesting. I was like, why Why are we only having him talk when he's giving his final speech? What is happening here? Dramatic effect. I guess so. I mean, <laughs> it, it's no suck it, but... No, I mean, what is, though? What is? Nothing, nothing. But yeah, like I think it's cool that this game finally came out over here. Like, it's yeah. neat to see stuff like this finally make it out of Japan. Like, it'd be cool to see more things like this get a, a proper re-release or a remake of this nature and all that sort of stuff. So, it's yeah. cool. It is cool. I will agree that. I yeah. will agree with that. There we go. My brain is... Your brain is a little, a little fried like mine was last week. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's, that's essentially Live Alive. That's it. Um... That boss team goes hard. That boss team goes hard. Yeah, the soundtrack in this game is really good. It's really good. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I kept joking with the um, the near future that they got Kenny G to yeah. do the soundtrack <laughs> because it's got like a, a sweet little like alto sax mm -hmm. tunage going on there. But yeah, um, I don't remember what I was doing, but I was doing something where I was like in tears because of a game I was playing. Yeah. Oh, it was Xenoblade. I was playing it was Xenoblade. Xenoblade. Yeah. And I was I was like crying because of this really emotional scene. But I was watching you play this on stream, and so I was like crying in the club because of that Megalomania song. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's like Which I think it, as well, like it's super wild that like the soundtrack still sounds very good considering Shimomura had to recreate it, recreate it? <laughs> from scratch. That's wild. That's really, it's really wild. But hey, she's a she's a hell of a composer, so unsurprising oh, yeah. that she could do this. Unsurprising. But yeah, this game's this game's neat. Yes. It's not gonna set the world on fire. I mean, it's a very it's a mid nineties JRPG, so like you kind of have to go into it knowing that. Mm -hmm. And like we said, I think the ending kind of falls a little flat. But there's a lot of cool things in this game. Yeah. So like. If you if you like these kinds of games like JRPGs and everything and just like weird things that they can do, like I think this is something that people should definitely try out. Yeah. If you're interested in things like things of that nature. 
I agree. Although so, yeah. take take a super powerful item with you to fight Odio. Yeah, hoard your items. <laughs> hoard your items for the end. Wreck that dude with this stupid gun. Yeah. Also, just a side mention before we go. I love how all the boss sprites are massive. Yeah, that's real good. You're like a little tiny person. They're just like, <laughs> I'm a big boy. You're like, okay, calm down, sir. <laughs> all right, sir, all right. ma'am, calm down. Chill out. Anyway, that's big. all I got. That's all I got. That's how that's I feel about most people is they're too big. Well, it's because you're very small. It's true. That's me. And you. I'm the I'm the big boss, and you're the tiny sprite that's going to beat me up. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's Live Alive in a nutshell for yep. you. Yep. We played Live Alive. Yep. And uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Yep. So, so, if you, so if you'd like more from us, head on over to seasonalanimecheckup.com or sac.cools where you can find past episodes of this podcast and other podcasts like Jared Now Watch. You can also find columns and reviews on the site as well. If you'd like more from Anladium, go to anladium.com. She's got columns and reviews. You can follow us on Twitter and TikTok at Anime Checkup. You can buy our books, One Shiny Moment of Critical Analysis of Love, Life, Sunshine, and Hot Tubs and Pac-Man on Amazon.com. And you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash sacova. Buy us a slice of pizza, get access to unedited versions of the podcast early, and a whole wealth of of bonus content as well. Mm-hmm. Next week, two ninety nine. Two ninety nine. How much the podcast costs, but that's the episode number, and we'll have to come up with something interesting for that before we get dive into three hundred, which you know is going to be weird. Weird. <laughs>